Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the war on humans. 
Right. You know, I can't. I, Latisha, I'm telling you, I can't wait to start making my video, my YouTube video channel, because <laughs> nothing is off limits. And and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit more later. But what Mr. Uh, what Mr. Wesley J. Smith had to say made a lot of sense. And I like the fact that he he is what the balance between an environmentalist and a pro-lifer should be, if you think about it. He is the exact perfect balance. But we'll talk more about that later. But it is cool. So, but. Well, awesome. Yes, we will definitely talk more about that. But would you uh, start our show in our usual fashion, please? Absolutely. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19 says, I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ for the opportunity to host another episode of True Life Friday Radio here on True Radio Presents on the Blog Talk Radio Network. Father, we thank you for the guest that we have tonight and what he's going, the perspective that he's going to give to our listeners. And we thank you for Patricia and her ability to pull in the guest that she does on such short notice. So, Father, we say we love you and we bless you in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, well, um, I had a couple of things. You know, things annoy me too, Thomas. Things really, no, really, you're, you're thinking like, no, no. Uh, <laughs> um, and and one of the things that bothered me real recently, um, and maybe I don't, I shouldn't take this personally, but I kind of do because you know those of us in a pro-life community are in such a vocal minority that I almost think that most of the comments people do make that are negative toward oh those things that you talk about you really shouldn't talk about are really directed at at pro-life issues. And I don't mean just abortion, but a lot of pro-life issues. Um, and there, a fellow Christian this week wrote something on her Facebook status that really makes me wonder sometimes if the phrase, just preach the gospel, is getting to be a cliche for avoiding talking about or dealing with serious issues, if especially the pro-life ones. I have heard this cliche probably a thousand times in my life. And I can't help but think how, I don't know, it just sounds, it's become so arrogant for some people to say it. It just sounds arrogant as if to say that, you know, the gospel is the only thing that matters. Now, well, not, not arguing with you there, but it's the only thing that matters. And so by the process of elimination, 
whatever else that's controversial, oh yeah, it, it has to be controversial, just letting you know that, just can't be worth Jesus's time. And yeah, I'm having one of those days where I'm sick of hearing it. And you know why? This weekend is, of course, it's Memorial Day weekend. Much thanks and gratefulness to all our brave men and women in the military who have paid the ultimate price to do the duty of this country, which is to keep us free. Um, oh, by the way, did you know that the first Memorial Day they pointed? Did, did they do? They did what? Because he was breaking up a little bit. Try to. Oh, I what? Oh, okay, sorry. Uh, did you know that the first Memorial Day has a very pro-life origin to it? No, I did not. Do share. Well, I, oh, please allow me to. Well, the the story goes that after the the Confederacy had lost the Civil War, um, well, during during right before they lost the Civil War and they had surrendered. Um, the Washington race course in Charleston, South Carolina, was one of the sites that was con- converted into a prison camp for years when the Confederacy evacuated the Andersonville prison camp in Georgia. Uh, that's when Gen- General Sherman was freeing prisoners during his march through Georgia in 1864. So they marched these Union soldiers out into an open field. It was a racetrack. Housed them in the middle in the open air, and who you know soldiers that were already uh, weakened, needing medical care, probably undernourished, um, and and injured, they were just kept there out in the open without shelter, and many of them died, and 257 of them were buried there on the racetrack in shallow unmarked graves behind the judges' stand. Well, the story goes that freed blacks from the city of Charleston uh, looked at the race track and they saw the irony of how um, these Union soldiers were being treated. You know, the race track was a symbol of um, aristocracy, um, white white domination uh, in their lifestyle, all that stuff. And the race track was being used then to treat um to i mean mistreat prisoners of war and so they decide you know they decided to take the bodies of those soldiers that had died there and um exhume them arrange them and give them proper burials wow. so the this group called themselves a couple names. I think they were called Friends of the Martyrs and later the Patriotic Association of Colored Men. They spent time to memorialize, so there we get the name Memorial Day, of these Union soldiers. And so they did it on a Monday morning on May 1st, 1865, and that carried on for several years. Um, The Confederate States, or former Confederate states, had their own type of Memorial Day honoring Confederate soldiers. And when that practice finally ceased in about the mid-20th century, about the 1950s or so, um, all soldiers who had fought in America's wars were came to be memorialized on Memorial Day. 
So that's kind of the origin of Memorial Day. Wow. Very pro That's cool. See, I got a question. How come we never shared that aspect of history? I I think we've been sorely miseducated in our public education. <laughs> That's the short answer. Yeah, the miseducation of America. That's right. Um, we, it would all benefit us to go back and read some history. I didn't know until I did a little digging with some help from a friend of mine on Facebook who shared that little story with me. Uh, I want to give a shout out and thanks for thank, uh, say thank you to Phil. <laughs> um, so back to what I was saying. This weekend has also here that you know Memorial Day here in the U.S. but in the U.K been a traditionally time of a a celebration for Christians in a festival called Big Church Day Out. Now, this is not like something going back 100 years or anything, um, but they've had festivals going on for, uh, yeah, I would say maybe a couple of decades, where they have music and they have worship and games, etc. And it's like a big block party, from what I can tell from the promo video. And they also have display booths. Well, this year, as has been for the last three years, the pro-life group Abort 67 has been denied a booth to raise awareness about abortion. Uh, Charisma News ran this story and writes, The Big Church Day Out attracts 20,000 visitors annually with entertainment by the biggest names in Christian music, while also stating in its core values, the event provides an opportunity to promote social justice and missions issues by giving a platform to various organizations and allowing them to engage a wider audience in their vision. Uh, somebody should have put a disclaimer. It says, <clears throat> except for abortion groups. Yep. The article goes on to point out the largest Christian festival in the United Kingdom has banned a pro-life group from having an exhibit at its annual event, despite covering other life issues such as poverty, human trafficking, and the environment. Now, I am willing to bet money that no younger Christian today would dare suggest that poverty, human trafficking, and the environment are too controversial to talk about. I mean, those things are hipster values-driven and sacrosanct, aren't they? Imagine, just imagine the reaction if I were to say, no, you should focus on preaching the gospel and stop worrying about social justice. You know, you know I have an even better case if we were to go that route. I could easily be real cavalier and say, well, there will be no more poverty or injustice in heaven. The solution to all of society's ills is to keep preaching the gospel. How well do you think that would go over? (laughs) Probably not too well. No, no, everybody would come out and say, no, you're a stupid Jehovah's Witness for crying out loud. And yet here, we have a clear case of hypocritical bias 
against a group for being interested in social justice toward babies in the womb and bucking a culture of death. And this group, and not the others that are, let me point this out and make it clear, equally as pro-life as Abort 67. Well, maybe not the environmentalists, because I haven't really seen environmentalists that weren't Marxists to some degree. By the way, Andy Stevenson from Abort 67 will be on TLFR next week to talk about this. So, uh, but I oh, just cool. wanted to tell you, that's right. You rock. I, he's gonna give us. He's gonna give us the dish on this. So I'm. I can't wait for that. But I will tell you what I think. Back to the back to what I started with. Um, foolish comments by Christians that uh, my uh, dear friend had said. She doesn't want to hear about foolish comments or foolish things that we talk about. It is foolish. This is what I think is foolish to talk about how to cope with all the annoying people in our lives who don't validate us the way we want to be validated. I think uh, continual sermons and Bible study topics on how to, make my lay, uh, how to make my neighbor love me as much as I love myself is kind of foolish. And I think it's kind of foolish to spend great lengths of time how to, on, on our entertainment choices and uh, finding ways to make the incompatible compatible. And if I'm being a little too vague, I'm talking about really unwise choices in entertainment. Um, that Choosing to support entertainment that really clearly has a hostile view to Christianity. And I'm yep. talking about all, kinds of, all forms of entertainment. Um, it's foolish to talk about living a purpose-driven whatever life when the life you lead only shows a half-hearted commitment to any purpose whatsoever. Everybody says they want to happy boss. If anything, that is a privileged, privileged thing to say if ever there was one. But realize that if you put yourself in a position to be helping people, it morally obligates you to begin considering the reasons why you want to help anyone and what ethic you're going to put into place and run with. If you just want to help orphans in another country, hallelujah, did it ever occur to you that the reason you want to help orphans is that every child deserves a mom and a dad? And if every child deserves a mom and a dad, then what should your position be on adoption by homosexual couples? What should your position be on using technology? to create children that will remain locked in a freezer because no mother or father has a use for them. I'm not certain that asking for a little consistency and applying values equally across the board is too much to ask. Is it too much to say that you're against the disemboweling of babies in the womb just as you would enthusiastically hold up a sign with a hashtag bring back our girls on it? Am I being a little too obvious? Mm, no. <laughs> it's exactly I think what you're supposed to be. If you're going to help people, you need to be a fully, fully aware of why you need to help people. And that is a pro-life right. issue. Right. Exactly. 
Exactly. You um, you speak sense, and you um, you just speak in sense. What how there's really no else, no what, no other way that we can put that, you know. Well, I I just see a huge inconsistency, especially when we talk we start talking about race issues, as we have done in the last few weeks, that people kind of break themselves up into these camps where to be to to not to avoid looking like a racist you have to call somebody else a racist. Right. Uh, and I've seen that I've seen that more than once, more than a more than a handful of times. And I'm not really sure that helps. I think it's very divisive. And I think it really insults people at the very core. I mean, we talk about race issues because they are pro-life issues, the same as abortion is. <coughs> Excuse me. The same as any other life-oriented issue. Right. So um, tell me, Thomas, what has been – what is your opinion on all of this kind of race – I don't even want to call it race baiting because it's not race baiting as much as it's <coughs> excuse me it's it's like race trading we're tra- we're using race as a, a method of currency and we're using it to buy credibility well to those who take that attitude, that mentality, it's really it's really too bad because they're going against they're going against the very word of God, first of all. Because the word is very clear. There's neither Greek nor Jew bound nor free. It's only we're only one body in Christ Jesus when we're believers. But you know even but even those who have not made the decision for Jesus, they were still created in the image of God. And so, when your focus is that identity in your skin color versus identity in Christ, you're going against the very essence of who God Himself is, because you know the Word says that. And, you know, and God is male and female, you know. And it's in it's in one of the books of Genesis. I don't know the chapter verse. But, you know, just to paraphrase it, what's talking about in him is male and female, and them, he, he, them. How, you know how King James and his tongue twisters. But anyway, but in a nutshell, Letitia, it does to always talk about how well I can't ever get in get ahead because the white man over here is he's the one with all the privileges and all that stuff. Well, first mm-hmm. of all, that is to degrade the those individuals like a Dr. Ben Carson, like a George Washington Carver, former slave. A Frederick Douglass, former slave. You did. You degrade. You degrade their 
their um, accomplishments. The black man from Chicago, I forget his name, who invented the stoplight, the actual inventor of the filament for the light bulb, was not Thomas oh, Edison. He yeah, Mike, Mike Kissing on that one. <laughs> and I yep. have forgot, so, you know, I'm not smarter than a fifth grader in that. But, yeah, my kids definitely learned that one. Yep, it was a black man that invented the filament. But because of the times, you know, and folks, you know, all this white privilege and stuff like that, all these people will really get over themselves. Because the very ones, and you said this last week, or actually I think you said it Monday on the show, the very ones talking about white privilege are one percenters. So the so-called white privilege, those who are supposed to be affected by the white privilege wasn't even in attendance at the so-called white privilege conference. Right. That's that's true. <laughs> so it's counterproductive. <clears throat> so basically basically what it what it boils down to you have a bunch of privileged white folks and black folks who wanna get together and talk about how victimize the folks are who they themselves don't even associate with. And that's the irony of it all. How many of those people do you actually think would invite a poor family to their house for dinner? Not too many. No. I I mean, unless you have a political role to play I can use you as a prop I don't right. think so because who do we find you know being trotted out and you want to talk about token black people those are all the people right. that come out and, and get to say exactly what those on the list want them to say yep <laughs> and you, you said that just right <laughs> say exactly what the left wants them to say I was watching an interview with um, two black people today online. It was um, some guy, I forget his name, he was the he was a liberal, and um, Angela, Angela McLowan, Fox News contributor, and she's a black conservative. And they were talking about the, the irony of, of uh, – Elijah Cummings, the same Elijah Cummings Congressional Black Caucus, who right. was pushing for the investigation of conservative groups illegally, mind you, is now yeah. on the select committee for investigation of Benghazi. And so this guy was talking about how, well, Democrats decided that they were going to be on. Nancy Pelosi decided to put Democrats on there because it needed to be fair and balanced. And Angela McGowan was like, well, why didn't she do this previously, so on and so forth. And it was funny because Mm -hmm. she was speaking intelligently, 
And he was uh, he was sticking to his talking points. I was just like cracking up. And so there you have it. Just that man, you had two black individuals. One was a shrill for the Democratic <laughs> Party. The other was speaking truth to power. But guess who gets guess who gets called the puppet? Oh yeah. The one who's actually thinking for themselves is the one who gets called the puppet, which I hate to say this and I hate to use this word, but people are you really that stupid? And apparently they are apparently money outweighs their desire to think for themselves. Because if you cannot see the irony of you yourself calling someone a puppet for the Republican Party when 90% of, well, actually it's 90, between 96 and 98% of folks are on the end of the puppet stream. Right. And the masters of Congressional Black Caucus and the NAACP, and they're just the middleman because their masters are the white man. You right, talk we talked about, about we talked talk about, about the NAACP on Tuesday. Right, we did. So let's talk and, about that. Well, I mean, the, I think that what goes, I mean, what people need to see more clearly about groups like in the NAACP and all those uh, the, those Democrat the black Democrats who really just spew out. Democrat talking points over and over again is that they they all sound the same. You ask them if they've really thought about these issues, and you just don't see that because you can tell they all read from the same script. They all support the same things, even though you clearly can see that it's against the interests of the black community. How do you get people to say things that co- completely contradict the real welfare of the black community. You mean I, I, I'm not right. allowed to answer that question today? <laughs> Why not? But please answer the question. So why aren't you allowed to answer that question? For one thing, the the culture, the real racially charged culture that we live in, isn't equal. Well, you know that. We all know that. It isn't equal. People who are not black are not supposed to say certain things. You know what? You know what? Here's the thing, Letitia. Here's the thing. Point blank. And I'm going to be real. I'm going to be real blunt and perfectly truthful. Part of the problem is that in a, in the black community, folks have been sold a bill of goods that the only way that they can get get ahead is if they're led. I have seen, I have watched meetings on public access television where folks from the community they got up and they testified well. We're waiting for this to happen, and we're waiting for this to happen. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you waiting? Why don't you take the initiative 
to make it happen. See, here's the thing. Unless it's something really, really, you know, negative initiative, folks in our community are not being taught to take the initiative because they are buying the bill of goods that they're victims and that if you try to point that out and you're not black, you can't relate. And I'm going to tell you something. Mm -hmm. Truth is, you know, right is right and wrong is wrong. And I don't care who you are. I point point out right and wrong to white people, black people, Asians, Indigo Violet, I could give a rip because it's not a it's not a culture thing. It's a human race thing. And until you pull your head out of your rear end and stop always talking about, well, you can't relate to you don't know. No, you, quite frankly, you're an idiot. You're acting like a fool and stop feeling sorry for yourself because that is why the violent elements are eating our community, rotting it to the core. And that's on the real. Yeah, well, I mean, in an ideal world, we could all speak our minds. And I, I think if it, if it weren't those on the left speaking out of both, of their ma- oh, both sides of their mouths, on the one hand saying we're for equality and we want this and we want that and everybody's equal, on the, second, on the other hand, they're saying, no, we need to, to separate ourselves and segregate ourselves according to color because some of us are more privileged than others. Uh, they're 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 really at the very least they're giving them sending a mixed message. At the worst, it is it is the sign of somebody trying to sell society something very very bad. Well, part of the problem is this: when it comes to liberals speaking out of both sides of their head. Conservatives are so afraid to challenge you because they don't want to be labeled. And I'm talking all conservatives, black, white, red, yellow, indigo, violet, etc. All conservatives. I'll just give you, you know, I was talking to uh, mm-hmm. my friend Vincent e. Brown today, and he, and he, uh, he made a comment about, I forget what it was he said. We were talking about something. And, um, oh, yeah, the Trayvon Martin case. And he was talking about how even in black, as black conservatives, there are still some black conservatives who play the race card. And it's like, wait a minute. Instead of waiting to all the information came out, they jumped on they jumped on the emotionally charged bandwagon and come to find out, you know, first of all, people are still yep. saying, still to this day they're still saying the man uh followed Trayvon Martin and he didn't one, two, Trayvon Martin, which did not come out in court in in the jury did not get to hear that um, in Trayvon Martin's system, not only was lean, but it was other things. And he was, uh, when I say he was hopped 
up. He was hopped up. The other thing the jury didn't get to hear was that the reason why Trayvon Martin was called, had the cops call him in the first place, was because he was looking in the windows of people's houses in the rain. Now, yeah, I don't know I about thought, you. I thought people. everybody knew that. Oops, sorry. Phone's uh, ringing. Yeah. Wesley Smith. Uh, I'm caught to call him our guest here. Hold on. <laughs> so, we are getting our guest, but but this is the thing. You have to understand that we, as a people, right is right, wrong is wrong. And you cannot continue to discriminate or play, play the card when it's convenient. And it's like I got into it with my own cousin. I love her to pieces. But I told her, instead of talking about racism, how racist it was, wait until all the information comes out. And lo and right. behold, I'm friends with uh, a man who was at the trial, an investigative reporter who was okay. there. I hate to cut you off, but we need a, we're up against a hard break, and we're coming back with our guest, Leslie J. Smith. Woohoo! Looking forward to it. Hi, everybody. You're tuned to True Life Fridays with Letitia Wong and friends. Don't miss out. Today's great episode is brought to you in part by Lifeboat Coffee. 10% of your purchase at LifeboatCoffee.com will go directly to support True Life Fridays. Just remember to name True Life Fridays when you check out on the web. Hi, everybody. I'm John Lillis, founder and president of Lifeboat Coffee, America's pro-life coffee company. We support True Life Fridays, and we hope you will, too. True Life Fridays will be right back. Don't go away. I never get tired of hearing that, especially when I hear myself <laughs> I have to start laughing because uh, because it's like a it's like I'm a Muppet or something. Letitia Wong friend. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I you know I'll say it again. And I'll say it a thousand times. Uh, Lifeboat Coffee is the truly uh, cruelty free coffee, and I I highly recommend ordering your coffee through their, this company if you want uh, an ethical coffee company. I mean, no more. Wondering whether Starbucks supports the things that you don't like. Um, don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. So, uh, you know, order your coffee through a truly cruelty-free uh, coffee company. And so I, I, we, I'm really thankful for Lifeboat making that ad for us and for being our partners in, in the pro-life work. Um, coming up, uh, we have a very special guest that I'm not going to waste too much time introing except to say that Wesley J. Smith is a, a fabulous, 
fabulous bioethics um, ethicist, writer, author, speaker. He's got his head screwed on straight on so many of these bioethical issues and ethical issues that, unfortunately, we don't get to talk about often enough. So uh, please welcome uh, Wesley J. Smith. Wesley Smith, welcome to True Life Fridays Radio, sir. Well, thanks for having me on. Yes, I am so glad that you're here. I'm especially interested in talking about your short film is that what you call it a short film well it's a documentary yeah it's a documentary called the war on humans uh, which is put out by the discovery institute of which i'm a senior fellow and it's based on my book of the same title which is an e-book the war on humans Uh, the documentary has some stuff that's in the book some stuff that's not in the book and vice versa some of the things i have in the book are not in the documentary but uh, the documentary is free on youtube Go to waronhumans.com. It's a half hour, and then the uh, ebook can be obtained uh, at that same site. So I'm going to jump right on in and talk about uh, the documentary because there's so much interesting stuff in it and stuff that I want to uh, discuss with you. I'm going to play a couple of cuts from there, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about that. Sure. In September 2010, longtime environmental activist James Lee took hostages at the headquarters of the Discovery Channel cable network, just outside of Washington, D.C. He pulled out uh, the handgun that he came in with um, and pointed it uh, at one of the hostages. Lee demanded that the Discovery Channel change its programming to highlight what he regarded as the planet's biggest enemy, humans. Lee condemned humans as the most destructive, filthy, pollutive creatures around. He added that the earth did not need humans and it is the responsibility of everyone to preserve the planet by not breeding any more children. Armed with guns and an explosive device, Lee was eventually killed by police and his hostages escaped. James Lee was clearly mentally disturbed, but his belief that human beings represent a threat rather than a blessing to the planet is shared by a growing number of leading scientists, policymakers, and journalists. Uh, well, apparently it's okay to own guns and to shoot people and to threaten people with guns if you are on the far left fringe of society, uh, but not for the rest of us. But that's beside the point. What I, what James Lee had, had asserted, I guess, is something the video says is part of a growing sentiment among lots of leading academics in the country. Can you explain that? Yeah, the problem is, um, you know, environmentalism has done so much good for the world, but it has been taken over in the last 10 to 15 years by very anti-human movement uh, that kind of came out of the deep ecology movement and the Gaia uh, hypothesis, which says that Earth is a living entity. And uh, you could see it just, for example, in the most recent movie, Noah, uh, which, of course, mm. uh, is not really based on the biblical account of Noah, the Genesis account. I, I wrote a piece uh, in my blog, which is on nationalreview.com, the human exceptionalism blog, and uh, uh, here's some of the lines that are said by Noah, the hero. Man broke the world. Everything that is good and beautiful we shattered. This means there can be no men for earth to be a paradise. Water will separate the fowl, by which he means humans, 
from the innocent, by which he means animals. Once humans are gone, creation will be left alone, safe and beautiful. And you don't even have to go to, to, the, to the Hollywood movies. Um, Sir David Attenborough, I mean, you don't get more establishment than Sir David Attenborough in terms of environmentalism. He's done all those mm-hmm. wonderful wildlife documentaries. He has called human beings a plague on the earth. And he has supported reducing the number of people in the world, human depopulation, and applauded China's one-child policy, uh, even though that policy has involved forced abortion and infanticide. Now, he says he doesn't like that kind of thing, but if you take a look at the uh, China one-child policy, it has not reduced the number of Chinese. It has merely slowed the rate of growth. So if you're going to reduce the number of people in the world, it's going to take some very draconian and very um, bloody uh, uh, things to do it. You're not going to do that by just saying, here, take some birth control. That's just not how it's going to work. Uh, you also see uh, a movement that's beginning to really move to the foreign environmentalism called nature rights. That is mm-hmm. to give human-like rights to nature. And let me read you what, the, what nature rights are. Nature, where life is reproduced and exists, has the right to exist, persist, maintain, and regenerate its vital cycles. That's a right to life for nature, by by a lot of people who don't believe in the right to life for people. Mm. Now, you might say they'll never pass laws like that. They already have. Ecuador and Bolivia have have a right rights of nature laws in their in their uh, constitution or their statutes. You might say, well, those are just two small South American countries. Well, Santa Monica has passed the rights of nature. I grew up in Los Angeles. Santa Monica, Angeles. California, you mean? Santa Monica, California. I grew up in Los okay. Angeles. I know Santa Monica like the back of my hand. There's no nature left in Santa Monica. <laughs> so why, why would they pass the rights of nature? Because it's a statement that says, Human beings' lives are of no greater value than any other species, whether plant or animal. And that indeed, when we want to engage in human enterprise, animals and plants and, and pond scum and insects, etc., have to be given equal consideration uh, to, what, to the needs of people in doing that. And you can see what that will do to the economy. And you might say, well, it's just Santa Monica. They're a very left-wing city. Well, Pittsburgh has passed the rights of nature. Well, it's just a couple of cities in in, in 30 cities or so in America. Well, Ban Ki-moon, the Secretary General of the United Nations, supports the rights of nature. That's how mainstream this is getting. It's been proposed for inclusion in an anti-global warming treaty. Now, imagine you're living in Africa. What do you need most probably than anything else in sub-Saharan Africa? Electricity. You need, if you want to have prosperity, if you want to have better health, if you want to have water treatment plants and things of that sort, you need to electrify that continent. We certainly have the ability to do that in terms of our technology. But Mm -hmm. guess what? Many environmentalists don't want us to electrify Africa until it can be done completely with renewables, which would be decades away. And so... They say, no, we can't do that because we have to save the earth. Meanwhile, children are dying of disease. People are going hungry, but we have to protect the rights of nature. That's how crazy this is getting, and it's how mainstream these kinds of uh, nihilistic and anti-human ideas are becoming. 
Right. I tend to look at this issue as, from a very philosophical point of view. When people assert rights of nature, rights of animals even that you're talking about in the, in the documentary, right. somehow they supersede, they suddenly supersede human rights. Um, but at the same, I don't see that being compatible with the idea that humans are just animals on the planet just like everybody else. If, if nature has rights, shouldn't we also have rights? It seems like we have to give up all of ours. Well, basically, we're, we, you're right. We would have to give up our unique value uh, and, and assume uh, responsibilities and duties that are self-harmful, <laughs> which kind of, if we're the only species, by the way, that can do that, we're the only species that have duties. That's why I call it human exceptionalism. On one hand, we have unique value. On the other hand, we're the only species that has duties. We, we're the only species that understands right from wrong. We are the only species that has the concept of ought, O-U-G-H-T. So what they say is that we, are, we have these extraordinary duties to protect the mosquitoes, even at the expense of ourselves, but don't call humans exceptional because we're just another animal in the forest. It, it, it's, it doesn't work. They don't fit together. But the right. thing is, this is not a logical movement. It's a highly emotional movement. Mm. It's about emotions. It's not about logic, and it's about anti-humanism. Uh, and it's about destroying the, uh, the backbone of Judeo-Christian moral philosophy that has brought, which is the governing philosophy of Western civilization, that believes in the equal and unique dignity of each and every human being. That's why we have so much prosperity. That's why we have so much liberty and freedom. This movement, if it is allowed to continue along the current lines, threatens our freedom certainly threatens our prosperity and threatens our self-perception as a uniquely important uh, species which, which also has uh, concomitant values, mm -hmm. uh, responsibilities and duties. So let's uh, talk a little bit about where this idea, these, this emotionalism comes from, because it doesn't just come from purely emotions. Um, you know, we have another cut here, and uh, let's play that one for you. Other activists today invoke Darwinian ideas in order to deny that humans have special value. Christopher Maines was an early leader in the influential environmental group Earth First. In his book Green Rage, he argues that evolution means there is no basis for seeing humans as more advanced or developed than any other species. According to Maines, human beings are not the goal of evolution because evolution has no goal. In his words, Evolution simply unfolds, life form after life form, and Darwin invited humanity to face the fact that the observation of nature has revealed not one scrap of evidence that humankind is superior or special, or even particularly more interesting than, say, lichen. The use of Darwin's theory to debunk human dignity spans the ideological spectrum. Princeton University bioethicist Peter Singer is author of the book, A Darwinian Left. Singer claims that the life of a newborn baby is of less value than the life of a pig, a dog, or a chimpanzee. And where does Peter Singer get this from? He's told us in an interview, Peter Singer made uh, very clear that his view was going back to Darwin. He said, Darwin really showed us that human beings aren't special. We're not sort of separate from the rest of nature. We're not unique. Uh, and so that we shouldn't be treated that way. 
And so this idea that there's something special or unique about human beings, that human beings deserve special treatment, uh, really is undermined by Darwin in Peter Singer's view. Now, does this suppose a problem for the scientific community? Well, I think it, it, uh, if people become aware of those kinds of attitudes, which, I, I, by the way, I don't think uh, necessarily have to come from Darwinism. I mean, they do come from Darwinism. You take a look at eugenics. Uh, that was partially uh, coming out of Darwinism. But whether we are created in the likeness and image of God, whether we were intelligently designed or whether we evolved, it seems to me that it's, that it's nonsensical to deny that humans have special moral value and special uh, are exceptional on the planet. Um, people will say to me, Wesley, the elephant has an exceptional trunk or the hawk has exceptional eyesight. And, of course, they do. But those are just biological attributes. They're not, they don't have a moral meaning. Human beings, on the other hand, the difference in us is moral. If we said, well, we're bipedal, so that makes us exceptional, well, that would be wrong because that's just a biological factor uh, of human beings, and birds are bipedal and so forth. But besides that, that's just biology. But what makes us unique and different, in addition to any spiritual qualities that your audience might consider, uh, is, for example, what we've discussed previously, our moral agency. No mm -hmm. other species has moral agency. Uh, and you can see the difference in uh, looking at hyenas, just as an example. Hyenas, they're, they're, they're scavengers, but they're also predators. And when they predate, they eat their animals while the animals are still alive. Now, no one is saying, oh, those evil hyenas. What, that, that makes no sense. Of course they're not evil. They're just hyenas. That's, that's how they evolved or that's how they developed or however you want to describe it. But if I ate some animal alive while it was still alive, I would be considered properly so a monster. Now, mm -hmm. that's a distinction with a huge difference. The difference between human beings and animals and all other life forms is, is of kind as well as quality. And where it is of quality, it is the difference between the beaver's dam and Hoover Dam. These people who try to deny human exceptionalism for ideological reasons want to destroy a certain moral view, and, and also they're talking just crazy. Just another example, I gave a speech on the uniqueness of humans at Gonzaga Law School, which is a Catholic law school in Spokane, Washington, and the animal rights contingent came out to boo and hiss, and, that, and, and during, during the uh, speech, I, at least nine or ten times I said, human, being, human exceptionalism says that humans have duties, among which are the obligation to treat animals humanely. Michael Vick, was, what he did to those dogs was monstrous because he was human. That's why that, it was monstrous. So, I, so the uh, animal rights type started um, hounding me, with quite, not hounding, but asking questions, saying, <laughs> you know, it's hubristic and arrogant. Excuse the pun there. Um, to, uh, to to say humans have have special value, it means you can do whatever you want to animals. And even though I'd said ten times that wasn't true, so I finally turned to the young man and I said, "All right, you answer a question for me. If being human, in and of itself, is not what gives us the obligations to treat animals humanely, tell me what does." And his eyes got big, and he went, "Uh," and I said, "No, no, not uh." <laughs> if being human in and of itself isn't what gives us the duty to treat animals humanely and just being human, tell me what does. 
and he made like Jackie Gleason on the old Honeymooner show, Hamina, Hamina, Hamina. He had no answer because there is no other answer. <laughs> and and then yet it. he denies we're exceptional. It's right. just nuts. Right. And it yeah. seems like you can't get away from a moral foundation for why we ought to treat animals humanely. Because we're moral beings. Right. The Bible discusses how you let the ox uh, feed while it's threshing. Because we've always known, all of humanity, that there's such a thing as right and wrong. People, different societies come up with different, uh, different moral systems. But we are the only species that come up with moral systems based on emotion, based on experience, based on rational thought. And, and the, the kinds of moral systems that we develop make a difference in terms of how successful or unsuccessful our cultures are. But that's something we do as humans. No animal species does the same thing whatsoever. So here's the contradiction that I see that I haven't been able to resolve. We are supposed to treat, you know, on, on a view of, of anti-human view, you know, what they profess, uh, we're supposed to treat animals and nature well, I guess, relatively speaking. How is it then that we can also treat humans so badly and approve of mass death and approve of all those things that this Malthusian type of understanding of humanity. Well, it's very interesting. Um, obviously, we don't approve of mass death, but people all uh, reject the Holocaust, most people. Uh, certainly the mm -hmm. vast majority reject the Holocaust as a, as a horrible evil. But you want to see what can happen when you reject human exceptionalism? You go crazy. You start to eat your own tail. People for the ethical treatment of animals an animal rights group, which has to be distinguished from animal welfare. Animal welfare says we have to treat animals properly. Animal rights says animals and humans are equal. And that what you do to an animal is the same thing as what you do to a human being, therefore cattle ranching is slavery. A few years ago, they were running something called the Holocaust on Your Plate campaign, in which they tried to convince people, <laughs> particularly the young, who are very susceptible to this, that eating meat was the same as Auschwitz. And, and listen, to, uh, listen to this. This is from the Holocaust on Your Plate campaign. Quote, the leather sofa and handbag are the modern equivalent of the lampshades made from the skins of the people killed in the death camps. I've been to Auschwitz. I've been to Birkenau. I've stood in a gas chamber. I've seen the ovens. I've walked that awful rail terminus where Jews were divided for slave labor or immediate extermination. And any movement that can't distinguish between the worst evil ever perpetrated against humanity and animal husbandry has no business preaching morality to anyone. And yet, because of the hyper-emotionalism of our times, where we feel instead of think, a lot of people give a lot of money for the people for the ethical treatment of animals as they wear leather shoes, even though PETA says wearing leather shoes means you're like an Auschwitz camp guard. Right. I guess the inconsistency I see is that not so much the things like the Holocaust, which seem obvious, but different Holocausts, like abortion, like you know, that's uh, a, doing you're, away that's with That's very the interesting. You know, I, I did a debate at Columbia Law School with Gary Francione, Gary Francione's an animal rights activist, who, uh, and he's a, he's a lawyer, uh, and he teaches at a law clinic. And by the way, the animal rights activists want animals to be able to bring lawsuits, which means they would bring the lawsuits. And we were, we were having a debate about this, and a question in the audience asked Gary Francione, who believes that if, anything, if something is just sentient, like a fly, 
it has rights. And so the audience member said, what about a late-term fetus? Would you stop a late-term abortion because that fetus can feel pain? And he said, no. He said, I don't care. A woman has the right to choose. It doesn't matter to these people because it's anti-human. If you mm. get your mind around the anti-humanism, which is consistent with their various approaches to public policy, as opposed to you, where you and I are coming from, which makes it seem illogical, then you can see the consistency. The emotionalism and the logic is the anti-humanism, which comes out of a deep, dark nihilism, which comes from rejecting human exceptionalism. I think, yeah, I think you hit upon the right word. It is a, it is a nihilism. It is, is yep. a, just this dark pit you can't crawl out of because once you've dropped into it, and Once you give up else, human exceptionalism, and, right. and, and, if, and for a lot of people, if these people are, are hyper-materialists, and if you think that all there is is news, weather, and sports, as I like to say, and there's nothing else, then you become very dark, and you try to find something to give yourself meaning. And so a lot of people, like Peter Singer, who's an atheist, decides that suffering is the thing that they have to be worried about, and that mutates very quickly into eliminating the sufferer. And sometimes the, who is the sufferer? The mother who doesn't want a child, so you can kill the baby, not just in an abortion, but a post-birth abortion, infanticide. Right. Peter Singer is the world's foremost proponent of infanticide, which is why he's at Princeton, not because of it or in spite of, not in spite of it, hmm. but because of it. Because the, the leaders of the intelligentsia, the leaders of the academy, the people at the very top of, uh, of uh, decision-making in our society have turned against human beings because they've turned against, uh, in my view, uh, they've decided to reject Judeo-Christianity for various reasons, perhaps the moralism of it, perhaps because of you know, there are some people who are of faith that are, that are certainly hypocrites. I think everyone's a hypocrite in some regard. But it's a very dangerous thing to reject the value and obligations of human life uh, reject human exceptionalism because it means you'll accept anything and it can take you anywhere. And we've just scratched the surface in our interview. And everything yeah, I've just said isn't true. the radical freaks on the fringe. It's becoming very mainstream. David Attenborough, human beings are a plague. He's the, as establishment as it gets. Peter Singer, infanticide is okay. He's at Princeton University. These are not people sitting in a corner with a pyramid on their head. These are people at the very apex of our society in the ruling class and among the intelligentsia. But they can't win unless the people on Main Street, as the old saying goes, keep saying, oh, ha-ha, what will they think of next? It, can't, it will never happen here. Anybody who says that's been asleep for 50 years. Yeah, I want to respect your time, but I know Thomas has been burning up the line with a question. Can you hurry and ask your question, please? And then I have to go. Well, yes. It's just a simple question. You know, they're calling for, um, you know, the elimination of humans so that animals and nature can have their rights. My only question is this. If that's their position, why don't they start with themselves? Don't be logical. <laughs> <laughs> it's about emotions. Don't be logical. Uh, and, the, uh, and then, and, and I do. I'm sorry. I do. I have another obligation. I do have to go. But there well, have been you. books. Well, there, let me just say. I'll make this one point. There have been books written about how beautiful, as in the Noah movie, the world would be without humans. 
The only question I have is, who would know? That's right. <laughs> no one. That's right. Well, you're right Good. that we just scratched the surface, and I hope you'll come back on with us again to give us a more thorough treatment of this issue. I think it's fascinating. Well, thank you very much. And uh, if people want to see that documentary or take a look at the ebook, www.waronhumans.com. Very nice. Do come back on with us again. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good night. Good night. And I think think he's absolutely right. And you have – that was a brilliant question, and I'm so glad you asked that because that is one of the things that is second. First, does the position make sense? Second, if you think it makes so much sense, environmentalist you, uh, why don't you become the first to make an example for everyone else to follow? <laughs> exactly. Um, we didn't get a chance while uh, Wesley Smith was on the line with us to play the last clip. In fact, he had gone, he had jumped ahead and said a lot of what was already in there. And so he kind of uh, preempted this, but I do want to play that for everybody so we have the benefit of hearing what was on the video, uh, particularly about human duties. Society. Part of human exceptionalism is that only we have duties. So we have a duty, for example, to treat the environment properly. We have a duty to treat animals humanely. We have a duty to treat each other with respect and dignity. We have a duty to our posterity to leave them a better place, I think, than what we found when we came along. The founding fathers of the United States were talking about their posterity all the time. That's us. No animal is thinking or has a duty to posterity. They don't have duties to each other. We do. One reason, traditionally, we have uh, spent so much and cared so much about uh, social welfare efforts in the United States and about the poor and the most impoverished among us and about equality of people of different races is because we have this intuition uh, that has also been buttressed by, frankly, our religious beliefs and our cultural beliefs that human beings are unique and that human beings are special and that all human beings are unique and special and uh, have basic rights and should be treated with respect. If you believe in civil rights, if you believe in universal human rights, but you reject human exceptionalism, you're going to be working at cross purposes with yourself. Because if you don't have intrinsic human dignity as an objective factor, how do you have universal human rights? It it, it will collapse because there'll be no weight-bearing pillars to hold it up. So if you believe I don't care if you're politically left, you're politically right, I don't care if you're atheist or, or deeply Christian, uh, Buddhist or Muslim. If you don't believe in human exceptionalism, uh, you are going to be undermining universal human rights. I think that was a marvelous way to end our segment about the war on humans. I think that kind of sums up the moral ethical view that we ought to have as people who are pro-life. I mean, there is nothing more pro-life then regarding our environment, nature, animals, and humans with the appropriate amount of compassion. You know, I, suffering is never going to end in this world as, as far as this world exists, you know, until Jesus comes back. So for those of you who, um, who want to discount that, well, fine. Then this world is all you have. And just know, though, that 
it's not going to get better through methods of human uh, population control, through ending people's lives in the womb, through right. ending people's lives early while they're elderly. I mean, one of the things that Wesley Smith, uh, we didn't get to talking about, is his extensive work uh, monitoring what happens in the U.K. under their national health system. And we have mentioned this, thing, the, this, this issue before, but let me quickly mention it again. Elderly people that are um, frail and may not have a long, healthy prognosis, even with medical care, don't receive medical care adequate to meet their right. needs. They don't. And I think uh, in Switzerland, it's the capital of assisted suicide. Now I think yep. they have, uh, and in Belgium, you can, you can, they've extended assisted suicide to children, all yep. for the sake of, like you said, emotionalism. If you feel like you can't live another day on earth because of your circumstances, yep. uh, you right. don't have to wait for your circumstances to change. You can choose to end your life. And and ensure your, that your circumstances will never change. <laughs> that's that's so, how it ends. So, Patricia, um, I want to make a point, but before I make a point, I'd like to give a shout-out to three people uh, real quick. Um, one is a very dear friend of both both of ours who's listening in, Miss Paula Talley, and then um, my friend Scott Osborne and a long-time listener from when I was the Visible Conservative, the name of the network was the Visible Conservative, CA Living, just discovered that, that I was back on air doing my own shows a few days ago. So glad to have you guys back. But Letitia, okay, so to your point about Belgium and Switzerland and their desires to end people and stuff like that, because, and I'm just paraphrasing, it would make society better. Okay. Wouldn't it yeah. wouldn't it be ideal just to eliminate the entire country and the people? Turn it into glass? But no, they would say they would say, Oh, wait a minute, that's cruel. You killed all those people. How wait right. you were just advocating for eliminating human population. So we we eliminated the the ones who who were a little loose in a gene pool because right. when you advocate for the entire extermination of the human race, that says you have a few marbles loose, so maybe we should start with the ones who are advocating for the eradication of the human race, and then maybe things will go smoother. But don't say that right. because that would get them turned upside down. How can you say that? That's murder. My point exactly, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it, it's it's strange how the obvious can be so elusive when we're talking about methods. You know, we don't want to exterminate a whole population of people, even though we do. But we the most thing, the most important thing is we do it the right way. You know, we no longer want to put them in train cars and send them to uh, the showers. Nope. We just want them to have. Uh, injections in their arm, and we'll do this 36,000 times a year. Um, 
I, you know, people like you and me fail to see what the real moral, ethical, substantive difference is in that. But they can probably go on for quite a while and and hem and and haw and tell you and make make up a difference for you. At the end of the day, we're all digging graves, though. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that that's what that is what irritates me about the hypocrisy of it all. That they don't realize just the just the sheer stupidity of what they're suggesting, and then you dare to challenge you challenge them. How dare you? I'm a well-renowned um, uh, Ivy League professor of higher learning. And what I would say to that, and this is my this is my expression to individuals like that, not all professors fall in this category, but just to a professor like that, or like uh, Richard Atten, Attenberg, whatever that dude's name, Peter Attenborough, Singer, yeah. all those guys, Attenborough. Those who can do, and those who can't teach, now, Richard, uh, Richard Attenborough's animal documentaries were phenomenal, like Wesley said, because I've seen a mm-hmm. few of them. But had I known that that man harbored, harbored that type of animosity towards the human race, even when I spent four years of my life hating the human race, and you know this story, I never wanted to destroy it. So what kind of extreme hatred and venom do these individuals have within themselves? I, I, I'm just going to tell you, that's purely evil. It's demonic and it's evil. Pure and I think, yeah, I think the ideas are, uh, the view of human beings that they hold, like that Peter Singer holds, really is is anti-human and anti-human really is evil but you know what i feel about that is more sadness than anything else you know i have it's such a it's such a it must be such a burden for people like peter singer and david attenborough to walk around every day and be in the business that they're in among people every day and have this view that these people that I personally might value in my life don't have any value, and neither do I. I think it's a, a bottomless pit that I think we referred to earlier that people have just jumped into. There's no way out of that. There is no light at the end of that bottomless pit that somehow redeems human beings uh, from from this utter nihilism that, that they've jumped into. They have reduced human beings to the level of of I, I don't even want to dignify it with the word animal. They, the view of humans is beneath animal, I think, because we treat animals a lot better than they treat humans. <laughs> and and there, I don't know that there's anything, there's any way to come back from that. It's very, very sad. There's no way to come back from that unless you change your entire world view. And right. and human exceptionalism, I think, is only a part of that worldview. I think 
what really needs to to happen is a revelation in the heart that there is a created order. You know, humans are a part of that order, but we are not the same as the moss that grows on the side of a tree or under a rock. We have moral duties because we are created to have those moral duties. Right. That there is a creator that has established that we have those duties. But uh, and, and unless you start recognizing that, there is no way out. Right. But here's some here's something that was ironic. And just to let just to let you know, I did watch the video twice. I watched it right before I called in to show you. I find it rather ironic because you know these individuals, based on their views, they deny the personhood for of a baby in a womb while calling for the personhood for animals. Now, explain that one. Um, I think our guest would have said that the underlying principle is anti-humanism. And like you said, don't ask for it to make sense. But know that they have right. this doctrine. This, this is a doctrine. It is as much as religious in nature as any, any fire, you know, on-fire Baptist preacher could ever be. This is a doctrine they will hold to dearly you know, and be devoted to, which is there is something wrong with human beings being on earth. It's a very sad and disgusting form of self-loathing. It really is. And, I, and with this self-loathing comes a narcissism. You know, they seem to be contradictory, but, hey, we've been talking about this, as, you know, in a contradictory fashion all day long. There's nothing about it that makes sense. The narcissism comes from people like Peter Singer and David Attenborough that sit in these places where they're making money and they're making uh, and they're hobnobbing with the powerful in society, having all these privileges that none of us have, um, now, preaching now to the rest of the world. You know you're not supposed to talk about our president like that. <laughs> I couldn't oh, resist that. I had to take. I had to say it. <laughs> oh man, it's it's just it's just funny. Well, it's not even funny. It's sick, you know, with the blatant disregard for life from this administration. You look at the VA scandal, VA hospital in in Phoenix that had people, secret waiting list of patients who died because they waited too long. That that just shows a blatant and a callous disregard for life. And I'm going to tell you something. I don't feel my heart I, I don't know how to feel I don't know how to put this because I don't feel sorry for the people like that. But I I grieve for them if they don't repent because if they think it's really funny because it's almost like the Bible is unfolding before your eyes. These individuals think that their money is going to keep them from ultimate and final judgment. You know, 
Biden is very clear. Well, you God know how that, how Mayor Bloomberg feels about that. <laughs> well, well, Mr. Bloomberg, you know we'll we'll see if you get to take your your fifteen billion dollar net worth to where you're going if you don't decide to you know accept the free gift. And it's like um, like C A Living put in the chat room, you know. To put um, as long as Christ gives humans the choice, we will always have folks that think it's us. Um, um, you know. Yeah. I just, I just included. <laughs> I just included the chat room and. Um, Discussion, but he left. I was I was trying to get that in there, but I apologize to CA Living. Um, it, it's just one of those things. It's just one of those things right. that um, sometimes I wish um, I just wish people would. I just wish people would understand what, you know, what is happening and they would wake up and um, until they do, we are going to be dealing, we're going to be dealing and, you know, we're going to be dealing with things that Mhm. Oh no, it's just it's just heavy. Okay. <laughs> I know. I, this is. I mean, when we talk about the far-reaching ramifications of an anti-human worldview that's so cynical, uh, yet so narcissistic. Like I said, don't ask for it to make sense. I think we we just jumped jump into outer space. I think people they're they're it's they need to be rescued from their point of view. Um, but it is time for the stupidest thing ever of the day. Hey, this is not first class. Alright, the stupidest thing ever is when we pick something off the internet that's happening. May or may not be so isolated, but it is a great example of silliness, hypocrisy, and, and hypocrisy. We love it so much here. We welcome back for the time in a row, Mr. Al Sharpton, who was ambushed by a reporter earlier this week about his comments about only one Jew. Right, you call them a, a white this. interloper. But yeah, no, but doesn't it take? But, but wait, but, but doesn't but doesn't it take like some serious balls on your no, end no, to accuse somebody of racism? Serious on your end, this quote: "You went from one guy who paid people off the book." Whoa, time out. Is Al Sharpton defending his racial slur by saying it was meant for one Jewish guy only? Okay. Hey, Al, how about when you disparaged Jews as diamond merchants and told them to pin their yarmulkes back? How many Jewish folks did you have in mind? A head count would be nice. 
You called a Jew a white interloper, and you dropped the N-word. You see how you lie, you distort. Why would you do we did? Come with facts. Racism. 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 That's right. Racism. That's right. Racism. (laughs) Well, that, I think, speaks for itself. We're going to cut out early today, and I want to thank everybody for joining us on True Life Fridays Radio. Next week, we have an awesome guest. I'm pretty sure we're going to have uh, Andy Stevenson from the Abort 67 website and ministry that is pro-life. They were denied a room at the Big Church Day event, that big Christian festival in the U.K. that's happening this weekend. I want to wish everybody a happy Memorial Day. Uh, Remember the dead that have served this country. Uh, They did it for our freedom. So God bless everybody. Have good night, and we'll see you next week. Good night, Leticia. Good night. Put your hands up open wide, put your hands up side by side, age don't matter like race, don't matter like place, don't matter like what's inside, let the kick drum kick one time, breathe out, let your mind unwind, eyes on the ceiling, looking for the feeling, wide open, let your own
on the day I saw you standing in the pouring rain. It started when you looked right through me. I never be the same again. Hey!